Human beings are searching for the personal experience of reality. reality. They are seeking to come to understand themselves, to find a reason for their own existence. And so you go round and round and round, ever chasing the illusion that there is something outside yourself, outside your here and now, to be attained that will make things better. No guru, no method, no teacher, and no nothing else either. All right, welcome everybody. We have Asa Laveau with us. Asa, how you doing, man? I am doing exquisitely well. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much. I just want to say it's an honor to have you back on, and I'm looking forward to our chat. Likewise. Cool, man. So I have these two daily readings here. One is the 365 Tao. The other one is the Cherokee Feast of Days. Um, and they're both daily meditations. Like, which one would you rather have me read, and then we can discuss it? Um, I desire to definitely, I bring light to ancestors and I honor ancestors. So let's try, just do the Native American one first. Um, and then we can do the Tao one. Oh, dipping into both of them. I like it. I like it. Um, just to be sure today is the 19th, correct? <laughs> <laughs> that is, no, today's the 18th. 18th. Okay. I was on the right, right page, wrong side of the uh, thing. Okay. Here we uh -huh. go. July 18th, time is a supreme equalizer. It puts us on the same level with people that never considered us their equal. The person in most revered and feared position can suddenly have his breath taken away by sudden descent. Time seems almost mischievous in the way it turns things around. We never really know what people think or what they believe until they have had some time. Our only drawback is how we think about ourselves and the need to talk about it. When our mouths are talking, our minds stop to listen. We may not like what time has done, but we can rely on only on its fairness. It has seen our actions, heard us talk, and knows our hearts. We can only hope there is enough time and we can learn and change. And here's this final little quote that goes with it. It says, like the wildwood birds, which our fathers used to hold their breath to hear, they sing in concert, alike in forest and field, alike before wigwam or castle, alike. And that was said by Pokagon. Hmm. So what is your feelings on that reading overall? As someone who is currently on my 35th year on this beautiful rock called Earth, I, in a, in a, I am in agreement. Mm. And I am in agreement that time is the, it is the equalizer of all. Because in my life, I have seen, I have seen individuals, you know, have great wealth or great beauty or great mental capacity or just great abundance in one area of their life. And I happen to pop in on that particular abundant chapter of their life. And there are times <laughs> that they 
have an air, an air of supremacy um, in regards to other people. And I do my best not to, uh, not to ridicule them, not to speak negatively of them in that moment. I love them where they are, but it's definitely apparent that they feel like they have the upper hand based on what level of abundance they have in that particular category. And then seeing them years and sometimes months later, and that particular thing that they put so much value in is now the very thing that they want to hide because it's no longer present or mm. it's no longer present in the ways in which they've been broadcasting it. So I, I was uh, pursuing someone who had a very, very uh, beneficial position with uh, a company and they and that company allowed them to even live overseas. And they the way they showed up was very what what some would say arrogant. They showed up in a very arrogant way, meaning a lot of things vocally uh, was beneath them. And they would not give a lot of people or situations the time of day based on their perceived place in the world based on that particular money and that uh, that space within the organization. Fast forward a year and that job is no, no longer available to them. And they moved from overseas back to the United States. And it was an experience that jolted who they were because they had to find out who exactly they were because they had falsely identified with something that just wasn't real. Mm. Wow, that's super powerful, man. There's a very strong message in all of that. I, I mean, as somebody who had really struggled with identity for a long time and who has really been cultivating, um, a sense of self based on non-material things. I can really appreciate that. But some of what you said in the context of all of that um, actually spoke to me on a level of something that I need to work on because in developing um, my spiritual awareness at times, I get like this sense of spiritual narcissism or spiritual snobbery, I guess is how I would put it. <laughs> I get that, yeah. And uh, I really took away from what you said about that whole person, like having this arrogance and then something comes up and then they get this humility. Um, I really learned that I either have to be humble or be humiliated really um, by my behavior. And I'm grateful that I have the awareness to like really digest what you said and um, get an understanding of how that applies to me. Understood. I do have one. I have a question for you. Yeah, go for it, man. What is your definition of humble? Um, it's, I guess in simplest terms, it's like being on an even keel. It's not thinking too lowly of myself or not thinking too highly of myself. Um, but when I started this whole path of everything I've been going on for almost two years now, 
my original concept of humble was this uh, thinking less, like I was less in and making myself smaller, but it's really having a honest awareness about my um, assets and um, detriments and being honestly able to assess my place in the world, which is if I'm thinking clearly pretty much on that even, even space, it's being in that equalized space that it talked about in that reading really. Hmm. Okay. How about, how about yourself? You mean how, how do I define it? Yeah. I define, I define humility and humble. Well, I take, I take on the definition that's already there. And the definition that I know humble or humility to be is the process or the act of making yourself less so that someone else can be more. Hmm. So the act of being humble usually, in my experience, comes from a place of leadership. So in the Christian tradition, having a pastor telling a minister, possibly, you know, you need to humble yourself. Or my experience in the military, you might have a general telling a colonel, you need to humble yourself. Um, in all of those contexts, is someone telling another someone that they need to make themselves less so that the person telling them can remain or become more. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like that definition. It's not, nothing against yeah. you. <laughs> I don't like it either. It does, not, it does not bring me joy, so I don't use it. However, there's no judgment on anyone that uses it because I understand or do my best to understand where that person is coming from when they use it. So I understand sometimes we, we adopt definitions to words, and so I totally understand that. Yeah, for sure. I would say that my original understanding of that word was more in line with how you presented it. But through um, through the whole process I've been through, it's really recalibrated that word, uh, which I think is I think that this isn't to toot my own horn. Obviously, I've I've taken this understanding of humble from other people, one that I currently have, um, and I think that that's a lot better working definition of what it should be. You, and see, you just said something now. You said not to toot my own horn. Why don't you want to toot it? Hmm. <laughs> That's a fair point because it really isn't my own. It really isn't my own um, understanding. I developed it through working with a group of people who helped me be better understand it. I guess it's just honesty. Well, why don't? Why is your horn not worthy of sound? Oh, it, it is. I, I toot it plenty. It's just, I, I can't oh, take okay. credit for something that I didn't do in that capacity. Oh, I get that. I totally understand. But see, I always, I ask questions so that I'm clear. Cause I don't want, my desire is not to understand someone with a filtered ear. So I want to know exactly what you mean by what you say, uh, because I understand because I get the, the phrase, you understand so that you can then be understood. Hmm. Yeah, I like that approach that you have. I, I definitely feel that asking questions to get a deeper understanding of what somebody's trying to communicate, if you, and seeing where they're coming from with stuff, I think there's a lot of validity to that. And I think with a lot of things that 
we're facing in the world right now, if people actually took the time to have conversations and raise questions, there wouldn't be so many misunderstandings or people wouldn't be able to apply their own, um, their own thought processes over what somebody else is saying as easily. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the work that I do every day, my, my main intent is clarity at the end of the day and the beginning of the day. I desire a high level of clarity so that I'm not in the jungle of people's minds. Mm. Something else that you said in that really brought up something else that I, I, I want to work on more. I work on clarity often in my own life. And a lot of the times I get in this mindset of screw everybody else. <laughs> which, is, which isn't really healthy. I admittedly know that. Um, it's Okay, time, I get it. But I was talking about the beginning somewhat too. But uh, maybe if I would ask people more questions instead of literally doing what I just said, like applying other, like my own thought processes over what other people are saying, I might have a better experience and a better, better communication with other people. I agree. I totally agree. Um, and one way in which um, I do that is the, well, the first thing that I do is I have to realize myself, but sometimes I, I get just the way you said that you get sometimes and you're like, screw people. Mm -hmm. And I have to remember that everyone's voice is a part of the symphony of life. And every single uh, section, every single sound makes our lives just that more richer, just that more in tune, just that more in harmony. And when I look at it like that, I am not so belittling or berating of another person's voice. Hmm. That's a really good way to articulate that, too. Um... And I forget the person who's, who said uh, the quote that I'm about to paraphrase, but I never met a land, man that like I, I couldn't, who couldn't help me. Like I could learn something from anybody as long as I'm being present. Totally. I, I, I definitely agree. Uh, my intent daily is to live that out. Yes, for sure. Hmm. Um, so we're going to read the other reading now and see what, what comes up from that. Okay. Okay. And this one is day 199, which I think we're on day 199 for the year. And it is internalizing. People think they don't have to learn because there is so much information available, but knowledge is more than possessing information. Only the wise move fast enough. The amount of information available today is unprecedented. In medieval times, a few volumes could form an encyclopedia of all known facts, or a despot could control his subjects simply by isolating or destroying a library. Now information is available to us in tidal proportions. Some take a lethargic approach to this enormity. They feel that there is so much at hand, they do not need to actually learn anything. They'll go out and find it when they need it but life moves too fast for us to rely on this laziness. Just as the flow of information has increased exponentially, so too has the pace of the decision-making 
accelerated. We can't be passive. We have to internalize information and place, our, place ourselves precisely in the flow. It has been stated that the average human can, being utilizes 10% of his or her mental capacity. A genius uses only 15%. So we definitely have the capacity to keep up if we unlock our potential. This requires education, experience, and determination. One should never stop learning, never stop exploring, never stop going on adventures. Be like the explorers of old. What they acquired for themselves will always, always surpass those who merely read about their exploits. I think that really tied in well to like the transitioning point of that conversation very synchronistically. Um, what does that stir up for you? The thing that stood out for me, well, number one, I, I, I love the fact that uh, they're talking about knowledge and obtaining that knowledge and the fact that, yes, we are living in a time there's unprecedented knowledge available to us because by knowledge, not by age, is wisdom attained. Mm. So it doesn't matter how old you are, you can go forth and pursue that and obtain it for yourself. And that's something that, you know, no one's able to take away from you is the knowledge that's out there. And a key point in that is the capacity. And I like that they brought that up um, because within that knowledge and within our desires to interact with people and through that interaction with people, the valuation of people, we sometimes put people in categories that's not loving and mm. that's not joyful. So for instance, let's say you are looking at someone and you're like, you know what? They're dumb as hell. Um, they are dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> they don't pursue information. They, I asked them to read a book and they didn't. And now you have some type of unresolved identity about you being more and someone else being less based on them not mirroring what you do and how you look in the world. But I believe that if we would stop and first ask if that person even has the capacity to do that, we would be more loving. So for instance, if I have a sibling and I'm the eldest of five and one of my siblings, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, I have all this stuff for them. I am Asa LeBeau, America's leading clarity coach and they don't know anything and they just won't take everything I'm giving them or I could just ask them a question do you have the capacity and the desire to learn anything new and then giving them the grace and the space to say no mm. that's it giving them the grace and the space to say no because though there is a great deal of information out there for us to obtain. Everybody doesn't have to obtain it. And in the event that they don't obtain it, it doesn't mean they're any less than we are. That's a really good perspective. I like how you talked about the grace and the space. Um, it's a very eloquent way to put it. And 
recognizing that you can't put like you can't put any force on the situation. It's something they have to come to, something they have to actively pursue on their own, um, and allowing them to do that if that's what they so choose. And also, it liberates you from the sense of trying to make them live up to your ideal or for trying to take control of something that ultimately needs to come from within. Mm -hmm. I think that that was very, um, very well said. I also like how you touched on capacity um, because that's something that I have to, again, instill in my own life is recognizing not everybody, first off, not everybody needs to think like I do. Not everybody's capable of thinking like I do. And then also, who the hell am I? <laughs> like, I'm comfortable with myself, but I'm not like the, I'm not the high water mark by any means. <laughs> like, if that makes sense. Okay. It makes partial sense. Can you say it in a different way as if I was six years old? Mm. I'm okay where I'm at, but nobody else has to live up to who I am. Got it. Like I, I can still have self-worth, but people can be better than me. People can be, have less understanding than me, but it doesn't make, like you said, we're still all equal. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just know that in my business life, in my personal life, and my life being single, that is something that I feel like I unlocked Pandora's box when I learned about the capacity. So I don't have to be so damn evil to everybody in my sphere. So as far as business, I can literally talk to someone that I might be co-creating something with and say, do you have the capacity to finish this project by tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Do you have the capacity to actually write a an email sequence that looks like 13 emails do you actually have the capacity to do that not can you do it not are you smart enough not do you have the tools but just do you have the capacity because when you say capacity you take the judgment off and when they when you hear that on yourself and you ask yourself that question it can look like a little a lot of different things that you do or do not have that would make you say yes or no to that. And then with being single, oh my goodness, like the fact, like do you have the capacity to kiss me every day? Because you may be in love with someone who doesn't and that's still okay. Mm. Yeah, the whole capacity thing applied to relationships actually like really transitions over well to the next topic. Um, that I really wanted to bring up, which was I, I, I'm single as well. And I'm really coming to this conclusion about dating that I don't need to seek out the right person that the universe, source energy, God, whatever you want to call it, will put that right person in my life at the right time. Um, and I just have to kind of be patient for it. And it's really like applying to the capacity element do I have the capacity to have a healthy relationship? And at this stage I would say, yeah. And it's like, do I have the capacity to wait for the right person instead of trying to make 
all these people the right people? And I would say, yeah. So my question to you now is um, with relationships, do you think that you're better, like you personally, um, are you better off waiting for the right person to appear or are you better off actively working to find that person in your experience or what you've learned so far? Neither. <laughs> okay. And what I mean by that is I am the best part of who I am in this moment. I really am. I am the best part of Ace on the Bow in this moment. And in regards to co-creating life with someone, I have desired no longer to work at it or to bring sweat equity to the equation. <laughs> what I mean by <laughs> what I mean by that is I have learned something. There's an author and you may know of him. His name is Neville Goddard. And if anyone's listening, never heard of this person, it's N E B I L L E Goddard, G O D D A R D. Uh, Neville Goddard is a great thinker, a great, great thinker. And I ask everyone to consider to please today in this soon moment, find out who that human was and what he had to say to the world. Because I now understand something called feeling the feeling of a wish fulfilled. So rather than going around my day talking about what I want, I feel the feeling as if the thing that I desire most is already real for me. So I recently have come to the understanding that I would not mind and I would find joy in being married again to the right human for me. I would like that. And I would also like coming home to a person that is right for me. So feeling the feeling of a wish fulfilled means instead of saying, oh, I want someone, oh, I want someone, because when you say that, when you use the word want, all you're doing is bringing another right now in energy to the thing that you lack. Mm. So rather than uh, keeping that energy of lack, I I reside in my desire. So that means I feel that feeling of a ring on my finger. Like I literally like sit there, feel that feeling of a ring on my finger. I literally imagine coming home, opening the door, and someone either in bed or on the couch or in the kitchen saying, hey, babe. I can actually hear the words. I can actually feel the feeling of what that feels like. So that's what I do now. So my is I rather rest in the imagination of reality than to construct one out of sweat, work, and effort. Hmm. I like the way that you put all that, and that's something I'm going to have to chew over it as well. It's nice to have these conversations with other people that are kind of uh, on similar paths, even though our paths are different, but there's lots of similarities. Mm -hmm. 
and it's interesting to get your insight on it. Um, and I think you bring up a lot of really good points because law of attraction would state that when I present lack, I'll continue to get more of lack or not even me specifically, but anybody really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when I focus on what I want, but not really constructing how that's going to happen and narrowing the potential ways that the universe can present that, um, it becomes easier when I leave it more expansive. And I like the whole concept of sweat, <laughs> sweat equity because I don't want to have to work. I understand that relationships take effort, but it doesn't have to be work. And one of the things for me that's really been coming up lately is this whole um, shedding of old beliefs based upon romantic traumas that I in, like mm. over, my, mm. over my dating career and just letting oh, it go yeah. and saying that's where I was at then this is where I'm at now and it can be different. It doesn't have to be how it's always been. I don't, I won't always date the wrong people. No, you won't. And but my thing though, what is dating? Is I have dating no idea. Nothing more? <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, in my mind, I see dating as an interview process. That makes That's sense. That's how I see dating. So the same, when you talk about um, one of these very large firms, very large organizations, and I mean that by the, the number of people that they have and the number of revenue that they create, when you have someone and you are, and they desire to bring someone onto the team, that's going to also make a significant contribution to the team, as well as for themselves, make a significant amount of money. The interview process is a dating process. So you find out who is interested, a.k.a. you start swiping right. <laughs> you just start swiping right. Then what happens, you pick a number of people that you swipe right on, and then you start talking to them. Hey, what are you up to? What do you like? How was your day? What interests you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. You do that with some more. You do that with a smaller number of people, but you still do that with multiple people. Then what happens? You you bring that down some more, and now you're seeing a couple of folks because you want to know what works. Nothing's exclusive. You haven't made your decision, but you're you're looking at things. You're 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 seeing if. Um, one person is a better fit over another. And then just like in a job interview or in a dating process with the position, you are then courted. So they may fly you out to the company. They may give you some perks. They may ask you to a basketball game and find out what interests you. They may ask you to come over to the barbecue to see how you are in an informal setting. They may ask you to go to a gala to see how you are in a formal setting and how you could speak to their associates and their partners and their customers. The same thing happens when you're dating. No one's exclusive, you're just interviewing. And then you finally say, you know what? I like you, you're my choice. And then you're dating exclusively with one person. So a lot of times we don't allow the interview process to run its course fully, I feel. That's a really good way of putting it. And that's something that I've really been um, 
evaluating in my own life about how I need to see how somebody is over a period of time mm-hmm. and really getting uh, more familiar with it. Because typically what I would, I would be like uh, those employers that have like a skeleton crew and they hire the first person that comes in that can like speak coherently. <laughs> like, that's what my day right. Oh, you'll work. And then it's like, I started making uh, excuses for behaviors that I wouldn't tolerate in other ways or thinking that I could fix these people or that how they're showing up would change, um, mm-hmm. which it never really does. And one of the things that I've learned through maturity is people show up as they're going to show up most of the time with the exception of big life, uh, big life events that cause dramatic change, but that's far and few between. One of the other uh, things that I really vibed with, with what you said, I lost my train of thought there. (laughs) Let me, let me think about that for a second. Yeah. Go ahead. Hmm. Oh, the dating multiple people thing. So for me, like when I started dating, it was right around the time that like I started abusing substances and they talk about how when certain people really get in that space of things, their emotional growth stops. So for most people, they, their concept of dating matures. So a lot of people, I'm 34 years old. A lot of people at 34 have a more realistic uh, approach to dating, I would say than I do. And a lot of people have been talking about this concept of non-exclusivity, dating multiple people, seeing who works and and who doesn't. And one of the things for me is that never really sit right with me in lots of ways. But as I continue to heal and grow and move forward and I begin to recognize that that's like standard operating procedure for most most healthy, well-adjusted adults, Mm -hmm. um, I really am, am putting more merit in that but it's also kind of out of my comfort zone, but then it applies back to that whole concept of growth occurs outside of the comfort zone. So it's something I need to evaluate. Well, would you consider that you could always, always, always state your parameters around what you are willing to do in a dating context? So for instance, you, some people, just because we're dating doesn't mean we're having sex. Just because we're dating doesn't mean we're meeting each other's family. Just because we're dating doesn't mean we're actually um, engaging into anyone's personal space, i.e., I'm not coming to your home. You're not coming to my home. We're just wanting to know if we enjoy each other's company. Hmm. So once you put guidelines and standards, keyword standards, around how you wish to experience the world and this person, there isn't any issues. Now, I'm not saying you have to, or maybe your best practice is to come out the gate with, this is what I won't do. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> because that may not grant you the experience you desire. It just may not. It might, but it may not. And so the best practice is just to let people know up front I'm not up for that. That that doesn't sound amazing to me. That doesn't bring me joy. But however, I would like this instead. Because I know how that could feel if you're wanting someone to spend time with you and you 
suggest a lot of different things and they're just like, no, no, no. But one thing that you can do is when you say, offer another possibility, offer an alternative so it doesn't feel like you're saying no to the person, but rather just no to that experience. Hmm. I think that's a very good point as well. Um, I've never been one of those people that really had standards or boundaries <laughs> in lots of ways. Oh. And as I'm developing uh, self-respect and self-esteem and self-worth and all that kind of stuff, I recognize the validity of that. And it's not disqualifying certain people particularly. It's saying this is, it's not a, let me rephrase that. It's not a judgment call on those other people. It's more of saying, this is what I need in my life in order to be successful and to thrive and to get the experience that I want. Exactly. And one thing that I know for myself is that it was, it came from a high level of fear. I had to think to myself, Asa, you have had a really beautiful human in your life before. Why are you so scared that you won't find another one? Hmm. Like, what is it about you that thinks that you once imagined that you created a possibility for you to experience life with a beautiful person and because they made a choice and left, you now think that that can't happen again. Why would you think that? That's a really heavy thing to, to say, but there's a lot of truth in, in that line of questioning for sure. Mm -hmm. what, what was your answer, if I can ask you? What was your answer for why you thought that? So I, it really did come from a level of fear. My, my thing is we, there are only two possibilities as far as energy in the world, um, and that is fear or love. Fear mm -hmm. being a very low vibration, love being the highest vibration. And when it's not love, call a thing a thing, call it fear, but then unpack the fear. So, yeah, I really was afraid that no one could come back. I thought that I had really exhausted all of my pretty, my pretty fairy dust, like to get someone <laughs> like it just, my fairy dust went away. Like, how am I going to bring someone back? Um, and then I had also, I had, there's another level of fear that I, as a result of me self-identifying with this co-created identity with the other person, I was feeling, I had a fear that the best of me is what they took away when they left. Hmm. Damn. I can relate to that too, man. Um, in, in some relationships, I somewhat lost myself at times and identified so much with them being, um, things that I didn't have in my own life or I couldn't generate myself. So I relied on them for it. Is that kind of what you're mm -hmm. talking about? Mm -hmm. That shit hurts. That's, dude. That's, it, that shit does hurt. And how I am now is I can consider to love someone without having a romantic identity crisis or allow romantic trauma to come based on me feeling that now this person has come to save me. Mm. Yeah, because you saved you know, yourself. I saved myself. And guess what? I am my own best thing. Hmm. I like that and too, is, man. Yeah, it, I am my own best thing. And it is a joy to get the permission to love me. 
For sure. That's one of the things that I'm really stepping into because I had such low self-worth for a long time. And now looking at over the past two years, all the discipline, dedication, um, time spent, like all the stuff that I put in bettering my life and seeing how much of a fair shot I've given myself um, and how loving I can be towards myself. It makes me recognize like what I really have to bring to a relationship. And the level of self-awareness and dedication I would need from a significant other. And then do you articulate that to your potential significant other? I've really taken a step back from pursuing that right now because I'm so focused on my business and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I transition into that space um, and put energy in that avenue again, I most certainly will. I think that that's a good kind of thing to appreciate yourself. One of the stumbling blocks I have is not wanting to sound too arrogant or like egomaniacal by, by self-love. Hold on. Please say that again. You, you said that you don't want to sound too self-maniacal uh, no, too ar- self-love? Too arrogant or egomaniacal based on self-love. How does, how do those two things coexist? Self-love and ego. How does that, how does that work? That's a fair point, man. That's why, that's why having these kind of conversations are good. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me realize some of the judgment errors. Because my thing is, if I have self-love, if I love myself, I am not going to do anything that brings pain or dis-ease to myself but in but my thing is when you do project a high level of self-love sometimes the language that comes back from someone residing in a low vibration is very um, non-affirming and so it comes back as Ross you're just being egotistical you're just being picky. Well, you can call it what you like to call it. All I know is that I'm over here loving myself. So if you don't choose to love me in the way I'm asking you to love me, because guess what? We all don't know how to love each other. That's why we need to ask questions because someone that was in a relationship with Ross cannot be in a relationship with Asa the same way. You have to love us differently because we desire different things. Mm-hmm. So once I give you language to the love I desire and you cannot help and you cannot, um, you don't have the capacity to give it, then you, you can choose to leave. You don't have to stay, but you're definitely not going to interrupt my, my self-loving atmosphere by calling me egotistical. That's a very, very good point as well. So it's almost like the self-love and being at a higher state with yourself triggers fear in the other person. So then they project it back to you to try to bring you down to their level. Right. They're trying to humble you. Hmm. Yeah. Your definition to humble too. <laughs> right. My definition. They're trying to humble you. And I, I say, no, thank you. I am not available um, for this experience in life. Um, and this is what I'm going to need from you in the future. And if you are not able to do that, I totally understand. And I will love you go. I don't let people go. I will love you go. Hmm. 
That's a, a very good way to put it too. As, as I've been dating and some of these um, situations have ended, I've always been one of them people that was a bad ender. <laughs> mm-hmm. But over the past two years when things have ended, I've gained uh, a sense of grace and peace with letting things end. And sometimes it's not even for the other person. It's for my own peace of mind to not be a shit bag when something that I celebrated at one point is ending and allowing the other person to leave as well. Um, Or as you said, like loving them go, but like giving them that space and still giving them maintaining my integrity and maintaining my respect for them, but recognizing that it's just not good for either one of us, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. I have another question for you on this topic and then I have a couple more Then I'll let you go. I don't know what the time's like. I don't have a clock handy. Um, But the last question I have on, on this dating topic is, do you feel that you should date where you're at now? Or I've heard uh, somebody say this. It might've even been you last time we talked. I don't remember where I heard it, but somebody said you should date where you want to be in a couple years like kind of date beyond where you're at. So it gives you room to grow. Say that, say, say that again, please. So when you're looking for people to date, do you date where you're at like now in, in that space of somebody on like, I say even playing field, but I don't mean it in that direct sense or somebody who's maybe a little bit further on their path to where you want to be in your life. I I don't look at people as other than me. This is what I mean by this. If, okay, so to date Asa. To date Asa means you have a level of persistence, and tenacity when it comes to you pursuing or allowing what's to come in regards to a dream that you have. I love dreamers. I do my best work and I show up best when I'm around dreamers. And not just dreamers, but dreamers who actually do things in order for those dreams to come. And if they are that, I'm okay. So for instance, if I find someone working at In-N-Out Burger and they are like, yeah, I find you attractive. And I say, I find you attractive too. What am I going to do? I'm going to interview them. I'm going to want to know, well, what dreams do you have? What is your current, what course are you on? What journey are you on to make sure that that thing is obtained in your lifetime? And if that's working and you are showing proof of those things, then I will give you a chance. At the same token, I, um, found someone on Facebook. This is how I found them. Someone that I never met on Facebook was 
I guess, interested in me. They, based on the information that they sent in my inbox, they seemed to be interested. I was not, and I was very clear about that. They, after months later, they posted um, a picture of a lot of their friends in the picture. One of their friends stood out to me. And I was like, whoa, who the hell is that? <laughs> I, <laughs> and it, they tagged, I think, about 13 people. Do you know that I went through every single person tagged to match the name with the face? <laughs> I finally got the perfect match. I then messaged them, said, hello. That's all I said. I waited for a response back. I said, the reason why I'm contacting you is because I saw you in this person's picture. I find you extremely attractive. And I would like to know if you have the capacity for someone to pursue you. They responded very positively. I am still in communication with that person. I later found out that that person is an actual attorney. Mm -hmm. So I didn't go after the attorney. I went after the person. I then found out that person was an attorney. I see what you're saying. So what, I, what I'm picking up is don't focus so much on the material, focus on the soul of the person. And if their, their actions and their thoughts are in alignment with what you're trying to do in life. Right, because when you go after the thing that you identify for them, what happens when they are no longer that thing? So, for instance, if I am creating a whole – now, I'm going to create a whole imaginary story. So, if I was to go after this attorney and it all worked out the way I wanted to work out and we're actually together, we start building a life together. And then that attorney, for some reason, gets disbarred like not able to practice law in all of America. What happens to my feeling of them? Hmm. Yeah, if you were attracted solely based on the attorney element of it? Yeah. Hmm. Which, yeah, because my thing is being the different things that I've done for myself, the fact that, yeah, I have four books. Yes, it was Amazon bestseller. Yes, I have a bronze star with the military. Yes, um, I have clients. Yes, I am an international speaker. I do my best not to say any of that to any of the people that I am talking to. That's a very good way to approach things because then they, they can identify with you and your personality and your soul rather than all these other things. And those things are great, obviously, but they don't define you. Nope, not at all. That's a really not at all. That's a, that's some good <laughs> talk, man. I really like that. I'm grateful that we were able to talk about this topic because you've given me more clarity on it, which is good considering you're a clarity coach. I feel like you tied everything up in a neat little package too by relating it back to the beginning. Um, so I have a couple more questions for you. Do you want to tell everybody um, who maybe didn't hear the other interview we did a year ago, kind of what you do, some of the services you offer, and where they can find your information? Sure. So some of you all may 
not know, as some of you may know, but I'll let you guys in on it. I co-create joyful strategies for entrepreneurs that result in $10,000 or more. I'll say that again. What I actually do for people, including you, is I co-create joyful strategies for entrepreneurs that result in $10,000 or more. Regardless of your industry, I do that. So I have helped people in the pageant industry, in the um, car industry, telecommunications industry, uh, health and beauty industry, coaches, speakers, um, a couple of psychic mediums, intuitive healers. So it's regardless of the industry, totally. And what that looks like, is, that can look like on one end, um, you going to a, a website called openmybusiness.co. That's www.openmybusiness.co. And you can go and take advantage of the Entrepreneur Playbook. And the Entrepreneur Playbook is only 10 bucks a month. And it's a lot of different courses and trainings in there on marketing, sales, operations, finance, how to get your book on Amazon, how to write your book, how to become a speaker, uh, as well as how to get publicity for yourself. And the cool thing about it is that it's an uh, entire coaching on demand experience, meaning if you don't see a particular training that you would like, you demand it, and I have 10 days to create it. That's exactly what that means. So the Entrepreneur Playbook at openmybusiness.co. Um, if you would like to work with me individually, you can always go to asalevo.com. That's A-S-A-L-E-V as in Victor, E-A-U-X as in x-ray.com. And uh, sign up for a no-cost creative consultation and to see how I can serve you. And something that I'm working on right now is I'm working on my last and final, and I do mean this, my last and final co-authored book. So um, the book that I co-authored first was a book called I Am Man Enough. I Am Man Enough, 365 Affirmations for Me. I co-created that book with seven other men around the country. And that was an Amazon bestseller. Very proud of that book. Um, uh, the book was also, is also on, on Walmart. So walmart.com, you can find that book. And then after that, women came up to me and was like, hey, Asa, you need to make one for us. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't sound amazing at all. And they're like, no. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm not doing it. And then finally somebody said, if you don't do it, who will? And I didn't have a response to that. So with the help of 21 women, I did that. I actually <laughs> have the book, I Am Woman Enough, 365 Affirmations for Women. That took a little while because I wanted, I desired to do my best and not be, you know, not bring any male chauvinistic energy, any um, mansplaining energy to it. 
and operate from a divine feminine place. So it took a little while for me to get that one out. Uh, that one allowed the same level of success, actually a little bit more, because that one reached Amazon bestseller the same day it launched. Oh, wow. Yeah, the same day it launched, which was amazing. And it launched on International Women's Day. So we were very, you know, strategic on how we positioned the book. And now the final one, the final one, I'm not doing, I'm not doing another co-authored opportunity. I'm just not willing to do it. Um, but I wanted to, for anyone else out there that desired, I wanted to make this a possibility. So the power of me. The Power of Me is the last collaborative work that I am willing <laughs> to do. And The Power of Me talks about the divinity that must come through your mindset for your life to change in a moment, in an instant. Not the power of the person you are with, or the person you are trying to be with. Not, not even the power of the sacred religion um, that you may be uh, aligned with, but truly the power of you, your divinity, and then the steps that other people can take to make that happen for themselves, okay? Mm. So that's the last one. Um, there'll be more information about that Actually, the, um, you can go to asalabo.com to find out more about that particular possibility. Also, you can go there for the creative consultation as well as this book opportunity, but the book will be released on January 1st, 2019. The Power of Me, which is the last one. I know exactly what I have to do to make this a, a bestseller. Like, I just know how to make bestsellers now. So this will be another bestselling book. And so if anyone would like to be a part of that and they then be allowed to be bestsellers, please come. Awesome, man. I'll definitely be sure to uh, include those links below. Um, and I definitely think that maybe that power of me is something that when it, when it comes out, you can come back on and talk about it if you want to. I mean, you're welcome to come on and talk whenever you're willing to. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome, man. I really appreciate our conversations. And I know that uh, I get a lot out of talking to you. And I'm sure that the listeners get a lot out of, of our conversation as well, because you have a lot of good information um, and a very good perspective on everything. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for your time. Asa, do you want to take us out with any closing words or anything, brother? Um, the closing words that I have is please take this moment for everyone that's listening. Please take a moment to get comfortable. Close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes yet. <laughs> Pull over. Then close your eyes and take a few intentional breaths and realize and be reminded and know that you are so worth it. Your value, your worth comes from a very divine place. Nothing that no one says about you, nothing that you've ever done 
nothing that you will ever do will take your divinity away. There is a power within you that the world desires. We are hoping and praying for you to show up in your most authentically wonderful voice and gift today and every day until the moment you ascend. We need you. You are necessary. You are loved and you are worth it.